ladies and gentlemen, fellow archipelagians, artists, poets, and scholars, thank you very much for being here to support the archipelagic cause as so remarkably taken up by the Bodleian Library at the inspiration of Chris Fletcher and with unstinting encouragement from Richard Ovenden and Sarah Thomas, Bodleian's, libra Bodleian's librarian, and unfailing support from Kate Longworth, to all four of whom I'm deeply grateful. I'm very sorry indeed that Dr. Thomas cannot be here, as I know she wanted to be. Little did I think when it came into my head not so long ago to attempt this project that I would find myself here today in such company, in such a place as this, so resonant with history, the heart of Oxford. No one would want to go the full distance in the footsteps of Charles I <laughs> or even Oliver Cromwell both of whom held parliaments here in this room. But I'll uh, settle the story this far, very happily. In fact, um, Archipelago's story began in Barcelona. I had just stepped into the street from a Basque uh, tapas bar there and was a little tipsy after lunch. Next thing uh, I knew, I heard myself, you know the way you do, declaring to my daughter's partner that I was going to found a new literary magazine. It would be called Archipelago. It would do this, and it would do that. It would have black and white artwork and photography. I seemed very sure that I knew what I was talking about. I don't know what it was those Basques put in their cheap Rioja, but the idea didn't fall away when I got home. At once I set to and wrote my manifesto and fired it off to friends and others whose work I admired, asking if they had anything that might suit the literary magazine intended to be extraordinarily preoccupied with landscape, with documentary and remembrance, with wilderness and wet, with natural and cultural histories, with language and languages, with the literal and vestigial the geological and topographical, with climates, in terms of both meteorology, ecology, and environment, and all these things as metaphor, liminal and subliminal, at the margins, in the unnameable constellation of islands on the eastern Atlantic coast, known variously in other millennia as Britain, Great Britain, Britain and Ireland, etc., and so on. Further, I proclaimed that in spirit and letter, Archipelago would assert in an unrepentantly secular sense that prayers of praise or celebration are as worthy as, perhaps even more worthy than, prayers of petition. And the magazine would be committed to hearing both, where quietly composed, with thoughtful craft. Above all, Archipelago would be a literary magazine with literary values for the common reader, not a scholarly, or an agitatedly political one in the ordinary senses of such terms. So I shot my net, and the resulting catch was an abundance of riches. There had to be something to the idea, after all. 
I think it was Oscar Wilde said that all art is a collaboration. A magazine, once begun, goes farther. Like a theatrical production, it is all collaboration. And even some high drama in the unsure and uncertain hope that it will be all right on the night and no typos in the morning. Yet such a venture must add up to something more than the sum of its contributions. Before introducing the poets and scholars you've come to hear, I would like to acknowledge the vital part played in adding that more to the sum of parts by three backroom people. My daughter, Gail McNeely, who lives in Barcelona and couldn't get here, and Adrian and Andrea Lack of Sinecchio Press, who are here, I'm delighted to see. Without the three of them, together with Julian Bell, whose artwork I commissioned for the cover of the magazine, Archipelago would not, a, not be the truly beautiful object it is, and a gift, if I may say, at £10. There will be copies for sale after the readings. And you can sign up for the second issue, now shaping up to be at least as good as the first. It will, I hope, appear early next spring. And you can also pick up an order form, may I say, for a new book, a new work, The Camouflage School by Tom Pawley, which I took delivery from Sinecchio Press only last night. Now, the order of service is as follows. Mick Imler, poetry editor at the Times Literary Supplement, will open with his poem, Muck, as in the Isle of Muck. Paul Abbott will re read from his post-apocalyptic poem, Flood. Paul won the Newdigate Prize in his first year at Oxford and is now in his final year. Plutic Press will publish Flood in its entirety in the coming year with illustrations by Gail McNeely. Mark Williams, a young scholar attached to Jesus College, will introduce and read a poem in Scottish Gaelic, so that we have some kind of idea of the languages of the archipelago, at least one gesture at those languages. Andrew Kahn, fellow of St. Edmund Hall, will introduce a poem by Ossip Mandelstar in the Gulag archipelago and read excerpts from it in Russian. Greg Delante, who hails from Cork and latterly from America, will read his translation of the Anglo-Saxon poem, The Wanderer. Next, Oxford's very own Bernard O'Donoghue, also a Cork man, will read two poems. And finally, Seamus Heaney, Nobel laureate and Bodley medal holder, will read his two contributions to the first issue of the magazine. But before that, I think he's going to say a few words about the magazine. So thank you all very much. Uh, and now, here is Mick Imler. <laughs> 